And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 56 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, December 8th, 2014. Well, there's royalty in the house, folks. That's right, Prince William and his lovely wife Kate arrived in the United States today. To a blaze of media cameras and a cheer of fans, the future king is here to meet with all kinds of folks, including our own President Obama, and spread the British goodwill, as it were. We're afraid that we here at PNR just missed having them on our show when apparently, and I'm paraphrasing here, Prince William said something about, I don't agree with those guys about the definition of native advertising. Anyway, still here we are as we are every week looking to bring you the same kind of quality of a show that rivals, well, let's say it's least as good as a live television broadcast of Peter Pan. And perhaps later I'll do my Christopher Walken as Captain Hook impression for you. But whether you watch for the princely great content or the right hook of marketing, Joe and I are here to bring you the best content marketing news each week. And if you like it, please do give us a review on iTunes. And here's this week's challenge for you folks. Compare us in that review to a live episode of Peter Pan. Are we a little better than a Christopher Walken, Captain Hook and Drag? Or are we actually closer to a candidly disconcertingly hot Peter Pan as portrayed by Melissa Williams? All right, enough of this. Let's get on to the show. And, of course, I'm very happy to announce and introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the boy who always keeps content marketing young, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend Joe? Uh, You have me laughing over here. I didn't see. Did you see Peter Pan? Did you? It's a great, you know, so the, you know, the kids are all saying hate watch. You know, you you, you hate watch something. I actually hate watched it. It was, it was, it was so delightfully great. The, The Saturday Night Live uh, 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 parody of it is just fantastic. It's just the Christopher Walken is just so Christopher Walken-ish in this. It's just. Are you going to do your accent? I mean, are you going to do your? Well, Joe, I what I'm trying to tell you is, content marketing is. <laughs> That's really good. That's hashtag fail right there. I think I, no, I no, I'm no, not no. nearly as good as Mr. Kevin That's Spacey doing. I would like. I, you know, I didn't know Walken. that she was uh, Brian Williams' daughter. I know she, and she's beautiful. She's a beautiful young girl. It's you know, it's weird to see, you know, uh, Peter, Peter Pan. Pan. And, and yep. yeah, exactly. It's just a little odd. But the dance numbers were just, I don't know, truly off the chart bad. But it's it was fun to laugh at. I and, bet you got and, great ratings and, and watch. Oh, it, it, I think it did. I think it actually did. And you know, there was a look. There was those who really loved it. Peter Pan's just a. It's just. A, it was weird. It was weird to see how over the top it really. The dance numbers with the pirates and Christopher Walken. It was just. It's just odd. It was just an odd, odd thing. And I hear the the didn't the royal family come in? I think they're going to see. Um... They're here. I, yeah, but here I today. thought they were going to see yeah. uh, LeBron James play at the. The Knicks game or the Nets game or something like that is that right? Oh, is that right? I, I did not. I didn't hear that part. I didn't hear that part. Oh, the King King James. I know that's the what I thought you were going to. Yeah, you go. got to go see the King. You got to the President. You got to do everything. I mean, all right, come on. you go. You know, you got to visit all the royalty and kiss all the rings. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> did we pick up some news this week? I mean, did we get back? We to did. Something? This was yeah. a. This was as they say a cornucopia of shenanigans as it were <laughs> and uh yeah our first uh, news item is comes from our friend at ad age 
And the headline was a really interesting one and grabbed my attention right away. And the headline is, Content Marketing Remains a Fraction of Budgets. This one, <laughs> despite, this one is yes, an interesting despite one. Despite surging popularity, content marketing <laughs> is a fraction of 2015 budgets. And then I'm like, oh, okay, let me read this thing. Yeah. Go exactly. ahead. I didn't mean exactly. to, to cut you off. No, it's quite all right. They get into it and then they say, basically, budgets don't seem to have caught up with the hype yet. So they, they, they cite a recent survey done by our friends at Contently where they said 52% of marketers said one quarter or less of their 2015 marketing budget is dedicated to content. I, I don't know, 25% of the budget seems like a lot to me, but, you know, and comports with what we've also found in our surveys. But holy smokes, when, was, when does 25%? I mean, yet technically it is a fraction, but it's, a, it's quite a large fraction, is it not? Well, I, I'm sorry. There are so many things going wrong in this article, I, and I hate to say it because I usually get myself into trouble, as we both get ourselves into trouble. Yeah, but I, well, so what I, I did was, first of all, I tried to check the source. So they said the survey was 601 marketers. So I got so I got to find out, well, who are they? Are these marketers with advertising for, like, who are they? Are they big companies, small companies? Right. I can't find it anywhere. I went to eMarketer. I can't find it, which they said it was originally on eMarketer. So so I can't find it at all. So we're only going by, so everybody listening, we're only going by what's in the article itself. So then they were going on talking about how this you know, is such a horribly small number. And I said, okay, let me check it against our numbers. What our numbers say is that uh, about 24% or so average right. for enterprise companies. For, so for larger companies, we get about twenty four percent. So th- this is right in line, yeah, with what we're finding. And by the way, let's even say which let, is you a know lot. What? By let, the way, let's even go by. Let's even say it was fifteen percent. Fifteen percent of content creation well, without media purchase is huge. Yeah. Uh, you know that exactly. I mean, what you look at. So, if you believe the Gartner numbers, right, in their newest CMO report, which came out earlier this year, um, where they actually go out to enterprise companies and look at what the the budget percentages are, and they break them all down. We actually talked about this uh, on our last show, and they say digital marketing. So, if you just look at digital marketing, is twenty five percent of the budget. They say digital advertising is 13% of the budget. And then they say uh, enterprises are saving 12% for website development. Now, so if, if 25% is the real number, that's a lot. That's a, that's, that's a quarter of your budget is going into content marketing. I mean, I believe it, but I don't know that it's – It's, it's I, really I tough. I mean, we, as a fraction it, of Now, we've researched this number for six years. So we've done the Content Marketing right. Institute Marketing Profs survey – Thousands of marketers all over the world, and we've done it for six years, and we've generally found a range between 24 and 28% yeah. of budget. Larger companies spend significantly less than that into right. as, a, as percentage. a percentage, as well they should, because yeah. they're buying lots of media, traditional media. Spending, spending a lot more, media. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then smaller companies, some of them, even in this article, they say that Twenty-three percent of respondents are already devoting more than half their 2015 marketing budgets to producing content. Those are small companies. Those are absolutely smaller companies. There's no way right. the Dells right. of the world, world like they say, because they say right in here, Dell, for instance, they say spends between twenty-six and fifty percent of its marketing budget on content. I, I don't. I don't believe that. I don't. There's believe no it way. Either. I don't believe it. I mean, 
No, I can tell. Well, I can tell you that. I mean, if you look at Dell, maybe maybe one small division of Dell spends okay. that. I mean, well, but, so here's here's the but, thing, but, and I didn't, I don't want I didn't want to misspeak for Dell, but here's the one that I want to talk about with you. This article says the average Fortune 500 brand is probably spending between 26% and 50% of its marketing budget on content, he estimated. <laughs> well, who's who's he? Is this, the, is this Sam, the, I, think the, I think what they're saying, this is Sam Slaughter from Contently, if I'm reading okay. this right. Right. So 20, they're, he says that they're spending between 25 and 50% of their marketing budget on content. There's no, there's I, no I don't, way. I don't There's believe no it. Way. I don't believe it There's... for a minute. I, well, and I can, without without disclosing too much. I mean, Dell's a client, so we you know we've worked with them directly, and I can tell you the division of Dell that we worked with, while not disclosing anything there, doesn't spend that much. I'm not even close. But see, to that, that comes down to the bigger issue too, where if you're going, if you're looking at a Fortune 500 enterprise, you have let's say conservatively five different budgets that content marketing probably is coming out of somewhere. It's come, you've got PR, you've got corporate com, you've got marketing, then you've got digital. Sometimes you've got digital marketing, you've got traditional, you've got it all, they've got all kinds of budgets. So whoever's answering it, like they're not, this is not the CMO that's saying, Oh, this is what we spend company wide. It's somebody within a division saying, this is what we spend. Probably right. Well, well, okay. So if if we say a Fortune 500 company spends twenty five to fifty percent of their marketing budget creating content, you know, basically across the entire enterprise, I, I might buy that. Right, the amount of money that they spend actually create not for content marketing, just creating content. That means actually typing things on into computers yeah i, would, I might believe that <laughs> i don't but, think that's what they mean though <laughs> no nah, no i don't think it is either but but you know. these are all the knowledge workers and this is all the time that we're spending <laughs> exactly spent you know putting words on screens yes i might believe that that's 50 percent of the marketing so I, I don't know how much more we that. need to spend on this i i don't think that a lot of it is helpful that's the same but yeah so here and here's my last little rant on this and this is a this is a just a side note because i don't want to get too negative here as we've gotten some complaints that i do said tend to get too negative sometimes um all the links in this article go to internal links so i'm trying to find the survey the original survey so i can do my due diligence here as a podcast reporter of some kind and i a journalist i'm not a journalist and I'm and I click on eMarketer and I click on Contently and they both go to the ad age directory, and I'm like, it just doesn't seem democratic. It seems. It, it seems doesn't it seem like they should link out to the source? Yes, or it, link it out does. to the people. That, I don't know if you. And I get why they're doing it. I totally get that, but it just doesn't seem right. It's a shenanigans, I call. <laughs> shenanigans Meow. on that is what I call. Yeah. <laughs> All right, on to our next story. This one is a much more interesting and fun story to cover. It comes from our friends at NPR.org. And the headline of this story is, Did you hear? Going viral no longer just for videos. And this is a really fun and interesting story. It, it goes through and starts to talk about how 
audio. It really focuses on audio. And they use a couple of examples here, one of which I'll mention, and then one I'm going to leave for you, Joe, because I know you interested you greatly, <laughs> which was they, they said, basically, much to our disappointment here at NPR, rarely does a clip of audio go viral. Well, they've seen a few exceptions, and they don't know whether it's a fluke or if it's this new age of audio or whatever. They talk about the European Space Agency, and it shared what it called the quote-unquote singing comet, sounds of the comet collected by the Rosetta spacecraft as it did this awesomely cool thing, which was to actually land on a comet, you know, 300 million miles away from where we are. And they posted the clip out on SoundCloud. And they've gotten 175 million monthly listeners to this. I mean, wait, 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 wait. I mean, just so we're right. It's not so, singing. Wait, wait. SoundCloud does this. The the singing That's comet right. has almost six million. Just so you know. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, sorry. 175 million listeners, yes. and this. Yes, and this. Yeah, sorry. I, I I misquoted that. And then yeah, the singing comet has six million different listens itself, and so. Um, it's fascinating here. I think, you know, it's, it's, we often, you know, we're often sort of wrapped up in this package of, you know, video is what goes viral and it's on YouTube and, you know, and it's cat videos and that sort of thing. And here we are, we're starting to see smaller audio clips actually hit the, what we would guess, you know, consider the sort of viral doorstep. I mean, what, there was another example that you were, that you would, that's in this article that you were really fascinated well, with. I do have a quick take on this just on, on audio in general, but the the second example they talk about is a BuzzFeed. I think it's I, I forgot. It's a com- New Zealand comedic team called Fletch, Vaughn, and Megan. Basically, took yeah. a BuzzFeed article uh, and a video that was about a, a woman disgruntled texting her boyfriend, and the boyfriend won't respond. And it, right. it's it's hilarious. It's eight minutes long, and they're basically taking the BuzzFeed article and just talking to it, and they're doing it like it was a real. They're just reading the text as the as you're looking yeah. at the text message. It's 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 like a dramatic, it's a dramatic reading. reading. Of it's the, hilarious. It's fantastic. It's so wonderful. It's hilarious, done. and it has almost seven million listens to it, and it got way more attention than the BuzzFeed article did, which is just interesting, right? I'm just. I think the the point of the article here is. Is there something to this? Is just just this an odd thing, or is there something about audio that's really starting to take off? And I guess that's my question to you. Do you feel that? Do you sense that there's an opportunity here in audio, and we're starting to see this break out like we did with YouTube clips years ago? I think I, I you know what I think it is. I think it's looking at. We talked about, I can't even remember when it was. It was like 10 shows ago we talked a little bit about this, which was the idea of using classic content formats in new ways, right? Which is, you know, you think about Vine, for example, which is really taking video and really using it in an innovative new way, which, of course, is an animated GIF, but it's in, you know, 15-second at max clips. And so it's this idea of using, you know, we often think of when we hear audio, we think it's got to be pop song length or it has to be minutes long. It can't be five seconds, ten seconds in this, in the case you're talking about, eight minutes long. And I think there's a real opportunity for content of all yes. different types, whether it's audio, imagery, video, um, you know, combinations of text, interactive content, you know, sort of uh, interesting flash base. I saw this one really cool 
uh, animated GIF, which is now interactive. Like when you move your mouse over it, it actually plays different parts of the animation, and it's just really cool. So it's I, all of these new and innovative ways to use different content types to, to create a different experience. All of that, I think, has potential for virality. Um, unlike anything we've seen before, and I think just I think we're just in the early days of seeing the the you know the sort of Pandora's box of creativity. You, you know what's interesting about that is I um, I just finished reviewing and we're producing our 2015 content marketing predictions like we do every year on uh, the CMI site, and I was reviewing the 2014 from the 15 predictions, and 14 predictions were all about snackable content. Little bits and yeah. pieces of content that are relevant that you can share socially. 2015, everybody, it's almost like everybody got hit in the head with something and now they're talking about long form content. <laughs> I mean, literally, every, everybody's, nobody's on that snackable bandwagon anymore. It's all, it's, it's all like long form, big, chunky content. I'm like, it's just so strange. You just, yeah, it, it, it's only been 12 months. And we're already like switching, and I'm sure we'll go back to snackable next year. But that's the point that you're making is so true. It it, it you don't know it depends on the audience. It it depends it depends on the content. It depends on it, yeah. it depends on everything. It depends on your consistency. Well, it, I don't know. That's exactly right. I mean, and I'll get into a little bit this a little bit more in depth when I go into my 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 rave actually toward the end of the show. But it's this. This to me is sort of a golden age of uh, of content creation, where the, the basically the you know the bandwidth and the technology has now caught up to you know because before we were really limited by uh, you know speed of download um, and the you know and 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 really a desktop sort of uh, uh, conceit where that was really the way you, you interacted with content on the web. And now, really, with the, you know, the explosion of mobile, tablets, interactive television, desktop, all, you know, all of the different interfaces, sort of the hardware and the bandwidth and the sort of ex- accessibility to content has really caught up with the software which now allows and sort of really opens up the toolbox for anybody who's creating content. So, you know, everything from simple things like the new parallax design stuff that's happening and what's going on with uh, uh, new interfaces to to content and and sort of everything from snackable to long form and sort of everything in between. I just think it's really, we're just, we're just now scratching the surface of some really interesting experiences that can be had with, with, with content. And that is so true because even this was a couple months ago when somebody was saying, no, the long form content is out. This is in a, some uh, event that I was at and I was listening to a presenter and they say, no, everything's got to be small, digestible. If you're going to do a video, the video should be, you know, two and a half minutes or less. And I'm, I'm listening to that. I'm like, no, it doesn't. You cannot get up there and tell me that your content needs to be a certain length. I'll never buy that. Right. <laughs> you, you can break all the rules. You can do everything. There's an, it's, it's an opportunity to do whatever you need to do and however you store whatever right. story you want to tell. I'm just tired of those people. Blah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, that's something that has lived forever here in Hollywood, which is, you know, screenplays, you know, there's a rule, quote unquote, there's a rule that screenplays cannot be over 120 pages, right? So if you're a beginning screenwriter and you're creating a movie, you are told in no uncertain terms that 
if your you know your screenplay must be between ninety and one hundred and twenty pages long, which means that the movie is actually ninety minutes to one hundred and twenty minutes between an hour and a half. But that rule is broken consistently by huge hit movies. I just went and saw Interstellar, which is almost three hours long. I mean, and an amazing, mind blowing movie. You know, so that screenplay I guarantee you wasn't one hundred and twenty pages long, and so. All the rules are meant to be broken, and and it is about the experience, not the length that determines that. Love it. Love it. Yeah. All right. We're going on to our next story here. So interestingly, talking about content types here, this comes from the New York Times, this next story, and it says, have you got a bestseller? Chipotle may come a-calling. And this was another fun article, I thought, and talks through how – Chipotle is doing this really interesting thing where they're engaging writers um, and writers, great writers, including Malcolm Gladwell and Toni Morrison, and they're engaging these writers to write quite literally a, a, a small piece where they're commissioning these writers to write a small piece on its bags and cups. And so they've commissioned 10 writers up to this point, and they're paying them, of course, and they're basically – um, calling it the Cultivating Thought author series, where they're actually having these writers create original content on the actual packaging. What say you to this, Joe? Pelosi? I saw this and I absolutely loved it. And any marketer should watch the trailer for this. The um, it's on cultivatingthought.com, and of course we'll have it in the show notes. And yeah. the author, the the author Jonathan Safran Four, I think is how you pronounce his name. Yep. He came up with the idea, talked with the CEO of Chipotle on it, and basically, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of this, but I thought it was so um, critical to the whole reason why Chipotle did this. He said, look, you have all these surfaces. So Jonathan says this to the CEO of Chipotle. You have lots of surfaces with nothing on it. So could you use those surfaces to give something thoughtful back to people? where they could laugh or they could learn or they could be, um, say, create some kind of an emotional response. And he said, what, he says, he says, this is not going to drive necessarily any business to you, but these are gifts from you people at Chipotle uh, to help them feel more engaged and maybe a little bit better off in their day. And and if, if that's the payoff, that's the payoff. And I'm like, I don't know. It's almost what you, you talk about all the time. They created value outside of the product and service they offered and they had blank space to do that with and i just thought that it's, i th- just think that's a cool thing to do and i actually do it's think so genius. i actually do think this could drive business i, I absolutely, absolutely if you're in there I, I absolutely do believe yeah i believe it too i absolutely believe this can drive loyalty or it can drive a happier ex- i mean what they have ostensibly done is created a more valuable experience outside the product and the service which of course this is right this is literally something that has nothing to do with the taste of the burrito or, you know, the crispiness of the chips or oh, now I've got a hankering for Mexican food. But um, <laughs> this has everything to do with the approach that Chipotle has to solving a customer need or want. And, you know, will it be there forever? Maybe not. But it is absolutely an enhanced experience that they're creating using content to do that. And I love that, the, the, the whole thing about you've got these surfaces and you've got blank surfaces. Why not create a differentiating experience using that? And if we start thinking like that as brands, right, if we start thinking like that as marketers where what surfaces do we have where we can actually exploit them to create a better experience for our customers, that is the heart of customer centricity 
And that is the heart of a differentiating approach, regardless of whether we can actually look at, you know, I mean, because look, that's in the scheme of things, what they're paying for this, because I've seen some threads where they're like, well, how much are they paying these guys? And oh, my gosh, they're paying. Are they paying these writers? I would write for, you know, the the outside of a cup or a bag. It doesn't matter. It's a you know, it's it's pennies on what they're spending on TV and the yeah. rest of their, you know, going back to marketing percentages here. But it they're not spending a lot of money to get this done. They're getting a lot of value for not a lot of money. And arguably, they're getting a ton of really interesting things from some cool, you know, from some cool writers. What did you think about, and they talk about this later in the article, about the number of authors that said no, because they thought that it was sort of I mean, I'm I'm par- completely paraphrasing. It was like it was sort of icky, right, right? Icky to be associated. Their writing to be associated with Chipotle, even though Chipotle will let you write whatever you want to write. It sounds like, as long as it doesn't have swear yeah. words in it. I, I you know, I, I think. Well, look, you know, there's sort of there's sort of dueling things here, right? I mean, when you start looking at celebrity level authors you're going to get kind of the same reaction that you get from celebrity level everything else, right? So you're getting some level of, do I want to be associated as a quote-unquote spokesperson? Because that's how they're looking at it. They're saying, do I want to be associated with this brand as a spokesperson? Regardless of whether that actually turns out to be true or not. I mean, I'm not really sure that I I look at Malcolm Gladwell as a spokesperson for Chipotle because he's got a little short story on the side of the bag. I just think that's kind of cool. You know, he's not out there sort of shilling for – for Chipotle. Yeah. So I I can draw the distinction, but I can see some of the argument. You know, this is why, for example, you don't see Julia Roberts or, uh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, Angelina Jolie or, well, let's use Julia Roberts. You know, you don't see a lot of American commercials for her. They do a lot of their commercial work, overseas. advertising work in, yeah. overseas. So there's so – because they're trying to maintain, quote, unquote, a brand. So I kind of get that. But it all – you know – the level of disdain that often comes from that side of the world for marketing, generally speaking, is, you know, it's like, all right, really? I mean, it, you know, some of the threads that I saw on Reddit, for example, where they were just like, you know, how angry people get about marketing and, and, and branding, generally speaking, is just sort of like, really? This this is going to get you that, you know, you're that outraged by this whole thing? <laughs> I mean, you're really, with everything that's going on in the world right now, this is what's got you outraged? You know, so that's so like, true. It's like, come you on. You know, it's like, come on. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know? Toni Morrison was on a yeah. cup in Chipotle. I will never be a fan of this hers again. I will just... I'm outraged that they would do this. I will never read another one of her books ever again. I'm outraged that she would stand up for this corporate it's uh, full it's of shenanigans. It's like, come right. on. Well, I loved it. I loved it. I did too. I did too. All right. Our next story comes from Folio and uh, Folio Magazine and their website. And this was another interesting one from a different take and it's all about content promotion and content discovery and while this really looks at content promotion and content discovery from the publisher side I think there's a lot of takeaways that marketers uh, can can have here um, the the headline is content discovery quality versus quantity and what it does is it goes through a case study actually of two different companies popular science and slate um, and it spends a lot of time on the popular science uh, uh, change where they basically took their website and instead of having the sort of now kind of classic bugs at the bottom of articles that say, 
here's the next nine or six or ten, you know, sort of related articles that might be interesting to you, either on our family of websites or other websites out there. And we all know that there's, you know, Outbrain and their big, huge deal with time, and there's Taboola, and there's a number of them that are out there sort of um, in this model helping publishers sort of content discovery and show-related content. Instead, Popular Science opted for this more simple sort of perennial or sort of uh, uh, sort of just single scroll, continuous scroll, single column, very minimalistic look. And what they found was is that it was really – that became much more advantageous to them and their audience. It was sort of something – and they're, they're not the first to do this. Of course, Boing Boing has done this, and there's other websites that do this as well. But then they actually offered the counterpoint, which was Slate which is offering quite literally 150 different stories against, you know, in the right rail um, against their stories. And the whole point of the article, which I thought was a really good one, which is basically, you know, your mileage may vary, right? So you need to sort of understand that. And they showed how both really found optimal, um, optimal user interface design through taking a very, very different approach. What do you think? You know, it's interesting. First of all, there's not one magic bullet, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's always different ways we want to test what works, and that's what obviously popular science did. But it's almost like we're being programmed for mobile. Like the mobile, like if you yeah. go to popular oh, that's science point. now, oh, that's a great point. It's almost like you're on a if you're on a desktop and you go to PopSci, you are in a mobile environment. It looks that way, feels that way, and it continually loads, and you can li- you can literally just keep scrolling on forever. And it basically goes five articles, add, five articles, add. It's actually, it, it was actually nice to scroll down. And it didn't bother me at all. Lots of white space. Um, it did take a little bit longer to load because it's still, it's continuously loading. That's right. But, That's right. Uh, but other than that, I liked it and appreciated it. But I think I do now. I think that if you'd have shown me that site two years ago, I'd have said, what were they smoking? But yeah. I think now. I'm used to it because it almost looks like a responsive site design. It really does. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I've sort of really come to love this sort of continuous scroll interface. I mean, the, you know, I mean, Reddit now has it um, on one of their apps, which I really love. Which is just it just you continually scroll down instead of paging to page two or three or four. You just sort of see more and more story. Boing boing. When I when I mentioned boing boing earlier, they changed. I don't know, year and a half or two years ago to this where it just continually scrolls down and you just sort of see more stories as you scroll down. I, I really like it as a reader, as a, as a consumer of content. I really, I really like it. And I don't pay much attention quite frankly to the related articles on, you know, on the right or the bottom or anything like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I, it, I'm sure in a year this is going to be very old site design, but right now it's just it feels like I'm on a big tablet, and yeah, you know who knows. And I guess that I guess the the thing that the takeaway for anybody listening to this is, and we made this decision. We had we've had a number of meetings about our website, of course, and what we're going to be investing in. And at, so right now, I think our stats are 20% of our audience is accessing the site through a mobile device of some kind, which I think is actually low. But that's what that's yeah. what we're seeing right now. Our anticipation is in the next eighteen months that'll be over fifty percent, maybe even quicker than that. Wow! So that means right now we're looking primarily that you've got to go for this mobile experience. Yeah. So we're, we're well. There was a there was a great stat that came out. Uh, I love. I saw this in my Facebook feed actually. 
from do you know chris dixon no i don't um yeah, he's a he's a really interesting writer um writes a lot on tech and and software and, and stuff like that and he he actually posted this stat where it showed um and i'm going to butcher this a little bit so forgive me but basically he showed the media consumption by desktop by television by radio by print sort of the trends over the last five years and all of them are going down except mobile and it's just it's just going up it's just it's just like skyrocketing up and it's and it's basically the headline under the this infographic kind of thing was guess what next year is going to be about right which is it's all going to be about mobile I thought it's always about mobile. Every 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 time you read an article like this, it always says next year's about mobile. I mean, it, some year, fair enough. Some year's going to be right. I mean, it's going to be true. Going to be right. That's the best yeah. prediction ever. Oh, 2015. Yeah. the year of mobile. Mobile's going to be. But that was 2008 and nine and yeah. ten. Yeah. Well. It's it's big in Japan, Joe. It's big in Japan tonight. <laughs> but I think we're big in we're getting to a point now where the numbers are really looking like even the ones I just said. We're getting to a point where you're just going to see the majority of the content that's created being accessed on digital. Of course, Facebook's seeing that with their app. Messenger yes. just blew up for them in a good way with the amount of people that are <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah, Messenger blew up because they lit the fuse. <laughs> They lit the fuse and said, basically, if you don't swallow this bomb, we're going to set it off anyway. And every time you, you use Facebook Messenger and you're, uh, in your, and you're texting with somebody so that doesn't oh, have it, it, they so always much. say, Robert Rose doesn't use Messenger. You oh, should I ping know. him right telling now on people, oh. and tell him that he should use it. I'm like, come on. That's such an Of course, you use thing. it. You're way ahead of the ballgame. but. Well, I had to. I had. I got to a point where they were like, "Yes, yeah, sorry, you're not going to see this message unless you download and install message." <laughs> anyway, I get off on a rant there. We should move on to our final yeah, story of the show, which is um, the funny thing is when I wrote this headline down, I wrote "hot or not," um, but funny. this is not the headline. It's not the headline. It's in or out. Actually, um, this comes to us a fun, fun article from. It seems like this show is full of fun articles um, from Digiday. Um, and we're pairing it uh, with a nice uh, Chianti as well as this uh, article from B2B Marketing Insider, our friend Michael Brenner, of course, um, who wrote an article about it. So big hat tip to him. Uh, uh, basically saying that the introduction to this infographic, which really introduces Digiday's what's in and what's out for 2015, and uh, he loved there was an introduction uh, paragraph there where he talked about native advertising. Um, and basically the the in or out for 2015, you know, I won't spoil the whole thing, but just a couple that stood out to me. So hating on BuzzFeed, out. Hating on Uber, or in rather. So hating on Uber is out. Word with friends is out. Kim Kardashian is in. Press conferences are out. Influencer dinners are in. Newsrooms, out. Content studios, in so I mean just some really fun. There's a lot of them there. So I hardly. I love the online the native there. ads out. Print yeah. native ads yeah. in, which exactly. is so true. We just yeah. talked about yeah. it the other day. Although, yeah, yeah it's homemade homepage takeovers out. Content marketing in. I thought content marketing would be out, but it's in. I'm very yeah. excited. About uh, apparently, that. we're in. I'm very excited about that as well. 
especially given some of the Twitter conversations I've had over the last couple of days. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. uh, Michael talks about the second paragraph. Do you want me to read this? Is it worth reading? Sure, yeah. It's, I think it's a so, great one. I think Because I, th- I agree with him. I think it's awesome. So Michael was just so excited, said it was the best writing, 100 words he's seen all year on content marketing. And this is what the Digiday editorial staff put together, and they wrote in their in their inner out, and this was the preface to that. It says, but first, a moment to pause and reflect. This is a piece of content, in quotes, generated by a newsroom, in quotes. After all, Digiday is a publisher, but it is also a brand. You, too, are a brand. If everything is a brand, then everything is also a native ad for itself. <laughs> so let's set aside the semantic arguments for now. We still have each other, but we're all <laughs> we're not all bots yet. This content was not programmatically delivered. So, ah, so it's delicious. just what I love about it, and you, we, you and I have talked about it forever, is that the lines between who's a publisher and who's a brand are going away. It's all, right. I mean, we're in this very small piece of time where there's still pure media companies left. There will, that will not be That's the case. Right. Every media company will offer products and services, and every product and service company will already, already is offering media. So yep. is that true? Do you agree with that? It's absolutely – well, absolutely. I mean, you were kind enough, you know, in the video that we just released for Content Marketing World 2015, you know, somebody took my quote, and which said that I don't think that every company will have a content marketing strategy, but every successful company that will. The, that's the that's um, a quote of the year. And, that's the quote uh, of 2014, my thank friend. Thank you, buddy. Oh, thank I love you. that I one. That. By the way – yeah. That's a total side note. That's the first time I saw that in, that promo video for Content Marketing it's World, so and I great. got chills. It's so, it was so great. Good. It's so good. Yeah, it's really, really good. Of course. Um, the, yeah, of course, there, really Robert Rose was in it. And family That's why. Well, come it was on. awesome. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Joe, it's, we needed a little more cowbell <laughs> with that. <laughs> All right. I Now I have Man. to watch the... Peter Pan. Thing. You have to watch the. Yeah, I absolutely. It's like, I mean, have to. It's so All right. fantastic. All right. Why? Well, maybe we should talk about our sponsor, our lovely. Oh, you wonderful know, sponsor. we have a new sponsor. We have a new we sponsor do. who's been a sponsor before, but they've come back. Our good friends at Acrolinks. We love the folks at Acrolinks. Woohoo! Obviously, if you have any translation issues at all, you need to look in to uh, Acrolinks' service. And uh, what you know, you know Acrolinks pretty well, right? I've known those guys for years. Yeah. Go, go through. For, give me a little I, overview of some of the things that people can expect with Acrolinks, just so I know. Oh, well, it's just an extraordinarily powerful translation. I mean, if, if you're looking to set the right tone with your content, so and this is really true if you've got, you know, if you're an enterprise, you know, specifically a global enterprise where you're trying to match content across localized content, you know, with different translations. But in addition to that, you're trying to manage all these different sources of content with regard to tone and make sure it's high quality, make sure it comports with everything you're trying to say across a brand, you know, that everybody's using the brand in the right way and across all sorts of different languages. And if you work in an enterprise, you know how difficult that can be. These guys have an enterprise software solution that really helps you do all so, of that. It's just a fantastic, fantastic. So they have solution. a new ebook out, which is called Speak With One Voice. And basically the whole idea is there's you know large amounts of, quant- of content available, as we all know. And we need to make sure we're satisfying all our customers at the same time. So they believe we've entered this thing called the content era. It sounds similar to your book, 
idea, right? Hmm. Experiences, content era. Hmm. And they believe it's a time when companies' success or failure increasingly hinges on the quality of their content. And I actually believe... Dun, dun, I believe dun, that. Dun. I think that's true. I, say, so how absolutely. can you make your content stand out? And how should companies align their marketing and technical content so that they speak with one voice to their prospect and customers? I love the whole idea of this. Uh, and basically, yeah. they've created this ebook called Speak With One Voice. It is free. You have to go download it. There's a little form. I would fill out the form so you can get the ebook. You guys know the drill, but it's a good piece of content. Go to bitly.com slash PNR dash acrolinks two. That's PNR dash acrolinks two, the number two, and download this. It'll also be in the show notes. Please check it out. And super happy to have Acrolinks as our December sponsor. And this is fantastic. It's going to be wonderful. And I have not had a chance to read it yet, but by the time we go to air with our next show, I will have read it. And so I will be really, really better equipped to talk about its quality. But I'm sure knowing those guys and what they've produced before, that it is just a fantastic Well, it must be good because they've got some poser named Joe Polizzi with a quote right on the right side of it. Oh, my gosh. Holy smokes. Crazy. Anyways. That guy. That guy. (laughs) He should be in the Wall Street Journal. That guy. (laughs) Oh, God, don't go there. (laughs) All right. It is now time for your favorite part of the show, folks. It's our rants and rave sections where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is giving us a little bit of heartburn or something we just want to show a little bit of that princely Captain Hook love for. You know, Joe, a little love. Never hurt anybody. Um, So you've got... Uh, you've got uh, this old marketing, yes. uh, so you're going first. I'm going brother, first with you, and you have a you have a rant. I, have a rant. This I week. feel bad because I've been ranting today, and I don't want to oh, rant. I right. feel I'm actually in a pretty good mood. But so this is why we were. I don't usually watch Conan O'Brien because I'm sleeping usually by this time. <laughs> but when we were out in San Francisco for the master class, which by the way was fantastic, the folks oh, in San Francisco, what a great city, we were yeah, sold it was so out. Much fun. They were rowdy and polite at the same time, which I didn't know was possible. It was just a great crowd, and uh, which was great. So, but Conan O'Brien was on, and I was watching it, and all of a sudden they started with this skit, and it was a strange skit. It didn't feel right to me, whatever. But they go into it, and by the way, we'll put it in the show notes. And it's on. And I'm pulling this from Conan O'Brien's page team coco page and it was the bit was called conan sweater gets stolen and what happens is andy <laughs> who is conan o'brien's sidekick was talking about how he bought something i don't know the exact details of it but he bought something and instead of using like proper online security for payment he used this guy this this big <laughs> foreign guy who was in the audience and they started yelling at each other and where he was wearing conan's uh, sweater for some reason and they're going back and forth yelling and it's kind of interesting and conan gets into it's like well next time you use payments on the web andy you've got to use something like paypal and i'm like huh. that it just like and i don't know if it's because you and i listen to this stuff all the time it slapped me like what did he just say paypal and then they said it again like oh you need to be more secure and spending is safer with paypal and i'm like is this a native ad? What the heck? And then I was like, well, maybe it isn't. Maybe they just went and got permission. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they're just doing a spoof and PayPal gets free advertising. I didn't know. And then at the end, they did this long disclaimer where they sort of comedically went and said this was a paid advertisement. Oh, and no. Yeah. And so the skit was like three, four minutes long. And then right afterward, like immediately afterward, they signed off and there was a PayPal ad. 
And oh. I'm, I don't, you know, I, it just felt really weird, man. It really, like, it just did not feel right at all. And by the way, and I've been doing a little bit of research on this, this is, I think they've been doing this for a while. I mean, they've been offering this kind of an ad placement for a while in the show, but it's the first time I saw it. Right. Well, this is, cla- this is a classic, you know, a classic late night TV show sort of. I mean, they've been doing. I this know for it's not years it's and not years. Like the this is new. Thing. Like I'm not making a big deal. I'm just saying that it just. Well, but this is the bad. This I think I think you're right here, right? Because this is the bad side of this, right? When when you have somebody like John Oliver freaking out over native advertising, and you have sort of the reaction in native advertising, it's the it's when it's done badly, right? I mean, it's when it's done in a deceitful way, and you know, and and, and I don't mean to say suggest that that that. That Conan O'Brien's being deceitful about this, but it's it, when you see the dog on the Johnny Carson show and they stop. For example, I mean, and I'm not putting us in this category. Please don't. I'm, I'm not trying to throw us up on a pedestal. But when we do our sponsor, it's like now it's time for our sponsor, and we make a little bit of fun, and we have. But it's clear that we have a sponsor, and here's the sponsor, and that's it, right? So, and then we move along. It, in the same way, that's what The Tonight Show did with the Alpo spots where the dog would come on and literally eat the dog food as Johnny's like, and Alpo, it's going to be... So it was very clear, right? This is kind of like an ad. And, you know, like if I'm PayPal here, I'm either going to say, go all the way, no ad, and basically make fun of us and, you know, do your, do your yep. thing, or... Do it the other way. Don't go that wishy-washy in the middle sort of, it's kind of an ad, but with, we're going to try and make it funny. You know, it's like, no, that's it. that's when it gets weird and people kind of turn that's, off I think that's thing. the problem that I had with it because I didn't know if it was, an, if it was paid content or not. I think if they would have put this, this skit is sponsored by PayPal, I don't think I would have had as much of a problem with it. And go all the, go all the way over yeah. the top with They it, should right? do you know? the, you know, 17, the gate in front of it like New York Times does. They have 17 barriers and you, <laughs> you have to sign over your life to, to read a piece of paid content or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was it. And I, right. I guess that would be a rant. I just didn't feel comfortable yeah. about it. And I think there's a better way to be transparent about that. So... Gotcha. All right. Well, I have a little bit of, I mean, I have a rave. I mean, it is it is nothing short of a rave rave. Um, but I have a little bit, just a hint, just a spice, just, just a, a touch smidge. of a rant, just a smidge um, of a rant in here because this, so this comes from Ad Age. And, and I'll just start with the rant because it's easy to dispel really quickly here. It's just... Ad Age has got to fix their registration. This I ranted on this a couple of shows ago where the whole, like, you get seven articles. I mean, some arbitrary, stupid number, seven articles, and then you have to register, which is just annoys me to no end. But anyway, so I did. I registered, right? I, and I registered, and now I went, and I read Ad Age a lot, and it went and said, okay, now you got to log in. And so I went to log in, and now it says my password's wrong. So I go, all right, darn it. So I actually go, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to sign in via Twitter because you can do that, right? You can say, hey, sign in via Twitter. Boom, I sign in via Twitter. No, you're not logged in until you actually fill out a profile. Well, now I can't fill out a profile until I put in a new email address, which I don't want to do. So I put in my old email address, which says, of course, it's already registered, so you can't register with that. So now I go, fine, send me my password. It sends me my password, but now the password doesn't work because I'm quote-unquote logged in with Twitter. So it's, it's, it's just broken. 
as Seth Godin would just say. It's just, that's just broken. So anyway, so end of rant on ad ages. So it means I can't comment on this wonderful article written by By the Adam way, Kleinberg. You, my, my dad has the same problem sometimes. Do you want me to come over and help you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Hello, Joe. I can't tell if my computer's broken or if I have a virus. I have a virus on my computer. I'm sorry. I don't want to waste All your right. wonderful rave. Yes, Go on no, with the rave, uh, my friend. Anyway, this this wonderful guy, Adam Kleinberg, who I you know I very much like his writing uh, in general, and I don't even know if he knows this or not, because but I'm sort of a fanboy from afar. He has an agency, um, small agency. Anyway, so he wrote this article called Storytelling and User Experience are on a Collision Course in Ad Agent. Just a wonderful article where he talks through how the discipline of storytelling and user experience design, as he says, are on a collision course. And as he points out, it might be the best thing that's happened to brand marketers in a long time. And it's just a very, very, just a wonderful thought piece, not long, just talks through how User experience designers really need to pay attention to some of the classic storytelling and vice versa and some of the points there um, about all of the new things that are, you know, with mobile. And it, and it gets into a lot of what we were talking about earlier in the show. And it's just a wonderful piece. I mean, his la- he, I won't spoil the article so you can go read it. But as he says at the end of the article, he says, these are just a couple of steps you can uh, bring together the art of storytelling and user experience and using this notion of storytelling to provide more than just a frame because stories connect with human beings on an emotional level. And then he says, why does this matter? Because users may not be ready to step into your funnel. Being intuitive only gets you so far. Remember, it's emotion that shapes behavior. Your customers' expectations from a digital experience are different today. Dare not, uh, dare to not delight them at your own peril. And that's the way he ends. I just love that, which is just fantastic. And it reminded me, um, I've been spending a lot of time, so as you know very well, I've been spending a lot of my time immersing myself in our newly acquired intelligent content conference and that yep. content, and I'm so excited by the idea of intelligent content and using content in a more uh, modular, scalable, um, normalized way. And it really feeds into that idea of really how we're designing interfaces. And there's this guy I've been reading a lot on the topic of late, and of course I read a lot anyway, but there's a guy, Lev Monovich, who is a media theorist who has a quote, and I've used this in a couple of presentations before, but he says, if the 19th century culture was defined by the novel, the 20th century will be defined by the cinema, and the 21st century will be defined by the interface, which I think is just a lovely way to say how important interface design and storytelling through all of the different media that we have at our disposal today is so important. And that's what gets me so psyched up about intelligent content. And I think what Adam did in this post is just so wonderful because he just sort of encapsulated in you know 750 words what I've been trying to sort of get my arms around for a while now. So it's, a, it's just a wonderful, a wonderful uh, article, and I, I highly recommend it. Uh, you know, when you talk about intelligent content, just for the quick follow-up, when we, you and I both hear about this whole thing, content marketing is buzzword and whatnot. But then when you really go through and look at a lot of the case studies, you know that people aren't necessarily set up in their structure and their platforms to scale this thing. They're just not. That's right. And we've barely touched the surface about it. that's what I mean. You and I get excited about this thing because 
it's been around forever, and we're just at the tip of the iceberg here when it comes to uh, seeing real innovation, I think, in the industry. What, yeah. I mean, what's opening up right now with, you know, I mean, this gets back to what we were just talking about 20 minutes ago on the show, it's, but it's, it's, it's what is opening up the opportunities for creating amazing experiences for our customers and really transforming what marketing is all about is just i'm i've i'm never been more excited to be in marketing or focused on this because it just marries all of the things that i love to do and it i think it makes marketing more interesting more compelling more powerful more profitable more effective but all of it is centered on the idea that we one have to get good at it and two have to scale it across the organization so there's a there are mechanics involved in that and the intelligent content approach is is a really good one. Well, I, I used I was on I was doing a uh, podcast interview today, and I threw out the Don Schultz quote, uh, of yeah. father of uh, integrated marketing communications, where he talks about get ready if it's not already there, it'll be there in the future. That everything you have will be able to be completely duplicated in all ways, shapes, and forms, except for the way you communicate. Yeah, and exactly. this is what I'm we were. This is what we're preparing for. It, it's it's only yep. how you communicate, and that's why marketing is going to take a leadership position in the organization because it has to. There's no that's other right. way around it. I saw a statistic the other day, which was just amazing to me. Um, it was about the idea of 3D printing and what's going on in that industry where 90% of the costs to get a hard product to market are being removed with 3D printing. Oh, my printing. gosh. 90%. That's crazy. So if you – I mean, it's like if you don't think – What's happening to product design won't happen to that which happened to musicians and artists and photographers and journalists and, and all the people who create content and have, are feeling commoditized because of sort of the tools that are now available for sort of the prosumerization, as Clay Shirky would call it, of, of what's going on. You're kidding yourself. I mean, product design's going the same route. It's going to be super easy for product designers in Poland or in Georgia or in your own backyard, upload a design to some marketplace where people can download it and print out a pet pair of sunglasses or that you know that new key ring or that new T-shirt or you know whatever it is. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll, I want to do this old marketing, but it just reminded me you yeah. were at San Francisco and you said most likely each of you are in some industry that's being disrupted, and everybody's head just was shaking. Yes, everybody's exactly. head. Yes, we're Everybody. being disrupted. Yeah. Every industry exactly. is going through this right yeah. now. All right, I got the this old marketing this week, and I got to tell you, Robert, I went back into the archives again. Of course, when you and I are struggling to find a uh, this old marketing, I have this. I have multiple <laughs> the Indiana Jones I have warehouse. Multiple yeah. bins in the attic that I go through, and today <laughs> I pulled out one of my favorites of all time, which is Rockwell Automation, uh, um, Asia Pacific Magazine, which is fantastic. I used to work on it in uh, 2004, 2005 while I was at Penton. And we worked with the group, for those that don't know Rockwell Automation, you know, automation manufacturing organization, helping manufacturers for years and years. Great company, headquartered out of Milwaukee. They also have a lot of people in Cleveland, Ohio. But we did a magazine with the folks in Milwaukee. And they basically, it was was anywhere from a 24 to a 32-page magazine that was delivered through all the countries that they dealt with in Asia Pacific. So they had Korea, Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, and a bunch of other ones as well that they focused on. China was in there somewhere. Japan was in there. 
And wow. the group out of Milwaukee oversaw all the content. So the, basically the way that it worked is they had, I think it was 16 of the 24 standard pages that would go into every publication that would be translated. And then each uh, you'd, they'd send it to each of the managers in each of the locations. So they localized it, and those people would make sure that it, was translated correctly, it sounded right, the product names were a little bit different, so they checked all the product names. And then the eight pages, each of them would get to talk about anything they wanted to locally. And then it was distributed huh. out. And I just thought that that was interesting. And That's fantastic. Isn't that something and how that works? So the, the, Consist- Talk about consistent. Well, right? the, the hope was that they could control the main things that they could control, and then they left it to, said, hey, look, that we leave it to you to localize it. You know your customers better yeah. locally. And they went, and they did that in, in print. And they still do it in print today. Automation Today publication is still in print. And uh, and at least it, I know they send it in China in print, in Japan and Korea in print. So it's just interesting as well. And by the way, for what I know, I'm, and I have not been to China, but from talking with some of my peers over there and what's going on, print is still huge. I mean, huge. Oh, you can. Oh, well, you have huge, to imagine, huge, huge. right? I and mean, of course, yeah, you can't get absolutely. to certain places sometimes without having, especially in manufacturing. Well, right. So it's still going to be uh, important for a long, long time to come. So hats off to you know, send a little bit of love to Rockwell. Hats By the off. way, our, we love our absolutely. friends at Rockwell because they sent more people to Content Marketing World last year than any other company. Twenty three. So we love them. And How about that? I would like to see them do that again. Maybe 30 next year. Do we hear 30? <laughs> Did we hear Come 30? On, bring it on. So that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, what about, uh, what, where are you? Are you home this week or what are you? I am home. Uh, taking lots of interviews. I did two interviews and a podcast today. I've got a co- Well, you are the godfather after all. <laughs> Come on. The, everybody wants to interview. Not the Robert Rose. And I cannot do a Christopher Walken impression to save my life. <laughs> so you got me on that one. So I'm doing webinars all week. I've got a small business workshop on Saturday morning, actually. I'm really looking forward to that because it's 60 companies oh, that are cool. within like $1 to $10 million, and and they're all the CEOs of those companies. And so it'll be fun. I love those, to just talk with them, and they're all like no, you know, nobody's got a blog, and they're not really doing social media. So it's, it'll just be interesting yeah, right. to, to do a little mini workshop there. So what do you what do you have going on this week? I am, I am full on heads down on the book. We are in the final, final stages of the book. Um, working with the editor who is pushing us really good and hard. So Carla and I are working very hard on that, should wrap that um, in the next week or so. I'm working on some client work from, you know, CMI clients, uh, some advisory stuff, finishing up the year on that, and home, home for the next, you know, till the end of the year. So just really heads down working stuff. It's It's been, I have to say, it's been really nice to not see the inside of an airport um, every time a, you say you're home, all ago. I think of is jiggity jig because that's what you put on your Facebook page is. every time you're home, home. again, home again, <laughs> home again, home again, jiggity jig. Very good, uh, my friend. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We're signing off. And, you know, tweet us up, you know, at hashtag this old marketing or hashtag Christopher Walken impression or whatever you want. Follow us, you know. If you have a question, you can always do it through Twitter or send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 56, we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher. All of the links that we talked about are in the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Do tune in next week, folks. It's going to be awesome. Remember, everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. 
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.